Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I don't know about you, but this time of year can be especially stressful, especially if you are a parent. I mean, after what was arguably one of the most challenging school years, we're now transitioning into a time of unknown, summer vacation. I mean, maybe your kids are heading off to camp or maybe you'll be having camp at your own house. But regardless of what this summer brings or even into the next school year, there is no question. When you are a parent, things can be challenging. And if you are a working parent, perhaps even more so, trying to juggle doing things well at home and also at work and also when the two combine and they're happening in the same place, how do you best navigate these challenges? Well, I don't have the answer, but fortunately, someone does. And that someone is Daisy Dowling. Today's guest is Daisy Dowling, an executive coach, leading expert on working parenthood, and the author of Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. Daisy's coaching and training company, Work Parent, has advised clients such as Disney, Big Lots, Cornell University, and the United States Air Force. A working parent to two young children herself, Daisy's work is rooted in the belief that all working parents can be successful professionally while remaining true to themselves and raising terrific kids. Daisy, welcome to Success. We are so excited to hear your stories. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, and I want to start right off the bat by saying a big congratulations for the release of your new book, Work Parent, The Complete Guide to Succeeding on the Job, Staying True to Yourself, and Raising Happy Kids. I mean, they say don't judge a book by its cover, um, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily a judgment, but when I read that title, it was an instant, I need this. These are all of the questions that I've been asking myself. Never has a subtitle been more compelling. So congratulations on that as well. Well, thank you so much. I mean, those are the same questions I'm asking myself as a working parent. I, I joke that I wrote this book because I really needed to read it and I still <laughs> feel like I do. So I, I'm glad it resonated. Well, they do say that the best the best learning happens when you're teaching, right? And y- yes, and that necessity is the mother of invention, and yes, all all that good stuff. So all all hence, of the phrases, hence the book. Yeah. So, well, let I would love to I would love to start there. I know in our conversations prior to recording, you yourself are are a mother, are a work parent. So, tell me about your experience. When did you first recognize the the struggle um, of work parents? And and I do feel like it's really important that we we address this. It's not just, we hear a lot about working mothers, but but this is work parents of, of all kinds and all shapes and all sizes. But when did you first realize that this is a thing, a thing for you, a thing that needs to be discussed with the world? Yeah. So it was about 10 years ago. It was before I was a parent myself and I was working very happily as an executive coach So I was inside a big, successful organization, and there were really hardworking, up-and-coming men and women who were great at their jobs, and it was my job. I thought I had the coolest job in the world, and I still do. It was my job to help them figure out how to get even better, how to get to that next level, how to take on more responsibility, manage a bigger team, get promoted, Um, and, and it was really fun to watch people succeed. But in a lot of my one-on-one sessions, I would sit in a, you know, an office in a conference room and a, a person would say to me, you know, Daisy, thanks so much for all the time management advice you gave me. It was really helpful in taming my calendar, but you know what? I just became a dad six months ago. 
And now I have to manage my time and get to daycare pickup every day at 6 p.m. What do I need to know now? And I didn't have really great advice for them or somebody Mm. would say, hey, you know, I've got a big evaluation coming up and whether or not, whether or not I get promoted is going to ride on this. I got to be bringing my A game, but I've got 18 month old twins at home, or I've got a teenager at home and it's just my attention and I'm not sleeping a lot and I'm finding this really hard what to do. And, you know, as an executive coach, you, you really invest in seeing other people thrive. And when you feel like you're blocked, you can't help somehow, that's an incredibly difficult feeling. I felt like I wasn't doing my job. Mm. And I sort of simmered along sort of mulling and wondering and looking for a resource and asking some of my other colleagues, hey, how do you advise people? And the the takeaway seemed to be, well, you just have to muddle through. This is sort of an intractable problem. Moms and dads just deal with this. Tell them it's about work-life integration, not balance, et cetera, Mm. which wasn't very satisfying. And, And then wham. I became a mom myself <laughs> and and joyously so but as soon as you know I brought the problem home with me I realized I don't know how to find care and I don't know how to tell my boss's boss that I'm still interested in taking on more even though I just had a baby yeah. and I'm I'm the career expert and I don't know how to do this stuff for myself so I literally one day Put, I was on uh, parental leave and I put my then two month old daughter. It was in New York City where I live, bitter cold, bundled her into the stroller with these blankets and everything on top, pushed her down to Barnes and Noble and talked to the clerks and said, Where's the working parent book? And they said, Well, what do you mean? And I said, Well, you know, the thing like what to expect when you're expecting, but, but for working parents or like, is there something in the travel section or the cookbook section that covers this? Like, just give me the guidebook. And there wasn't one. And very long story short, that was a tipping point for me. And it put me on the path, on the journey to refocusing my practice as a coach and and to then writing this book. Wow. I, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way that, yeah, when you find out you're pregnant, that's the first book you buy is, you know, what to expect when you're expecting, like there are, there are guidebooks for so many things. And I, and not only the fact that this book wasn't available, but I never thought to go find this guide because I, as a parent, I too just thought, oh, this is something you, you muddle through. And I know, I know the Barnes and Noble you likely went to, it's closed now, which is kind of sad. We spent a lot of time at that Barnes and Noble. I know, I know our local bookstore. So there's a lot to unpack there. Everything that you said, even leading up to it with how do I explain that? Yes, even though I am a new parent, I want to take on how do I, how do I, how do I? So I know we're going to get into a lot of the hows in this conversation, but I want to back up for a moment. What is a work parent? Because this is a term that I haven't, I haven't heard, I haven't heard this term used before? Is it different than the typical terms we often hear? What's Tell me about the, the term work parent. Yeah. So I was raised by a proud working mom who taught um, elementary school English and language arts. And so I'm sort of a words nerd. And when I was beginning to grapple with this issue as an executive coach, it, it really got under my skin that people would say working mother, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't say working father. Mm -hmm. Or people would talk about work-life balance, but work-life balance had a slash in between it. And I thought, well, my work and my life are actually not separated by anything. I'm, I'm one person doing two jobs. And I feel like I should be proud about being a mother. I feel like I should be proud about working hard. And those two things don't need to sort of exist in totally separate spheres. And so one day it it literally just, the the word just sort of popped into my head. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, language matters, language is important. And if instead of saying working mother, as if somehow like, well, you're not quite a mother, we need to describe you as a working mother or, you know, working father and feeling awkward because nobody uses that term. What if we just all talked about ourselves as being whole and complete and doing two things at the same time and having that be a point of pride. And so just smushing the word together. So it it just sort of came to me and I began referring to work parenting or to work parents 
in, in my day-to-day language and people would sort of look at me or scratch their heads, but I've, I've just kept using it because I think it captures who we are at this point in time and the, the sort of full step forward way we need to think about this. Yeah. I mean, there really isn't. And, and you saying at this point in time, I think that's a, we need to acknowledge this point at time that we are in, which is we're recording this in June, 2021. Um, so we'll be discussing that, but yeah, like how, how important words are and separating the two, because I, when I'm at work, I am not separate from my role as a parent. And when I am a parent, I am not separate from my excitement and enthusiasm and concern and stress of who I am at work. So, so I really, I really appreciate that. I knew that there was likely some strong intention in there. So so let's talk about that, where we are right now. Um, and that is, I mean, what do we even call it? Post-pandemic, kind of end of pandemic, bridging. I mean, we just, we never really know. Um, and, and the impact that this global experience has had on what it means to be a work parent. And and I'll preface this by saying I very recently, so I live and work and raise my family in New York City, like you do. Uh, in fact, we're just a few blocks away, which is kind of fun to, 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 <laughs> it is. to, to find that out. Um, but it wasn't until I would say about two months ago, uh, you know, and when the original shutdown happened and our children were sent home. You remember that day? Oh, yes. It was actually, I want to hear your story of, I want to hear your story of that day. I think this isn't, these are important stories to tell. Absolutely. But, But when you're in it, you're just doing it. And, and I remember there definitely being like very vivid moments of complete chaos and, and disaster and, and moments of joy and beauty. But I don't think it was until about two months ago when, when someone said, my mom said something to me, it was right around Easter is what it was. And my parents had come to town. They were very excited. We hadn't seen them in a long time. It was right over Easter. Uh, My Easter decorations are in storage somewhere else in the country. And she said, where are those Easter baskets that your grandmother made for you? And I almost lost my mind. Like I almost crumpled in a pile on the ground. I was able to keep my composure and that's not the kind of person I am. But I was like, I can't do it all. I don't have the Easter baskets because they're somewhere else and I'm trying to... And, And I was like, I kept it together and said, oh, they're in storage somewhere else. But I walked away from that conversation like, I must really be on the brink. Like I must be at the very last fringes of my rope to be responding to a very simple question with so much energy. So I'm really interested to ask you, the expert on this, like how has the pandemic impacted working parenthood? Yeah. So I see the pandemic as an amplifier and an accelerator. And by that, I mean, I I think, listen, this past year plus has been a doozy to put Mm -hmm. it mildly. Um, But even before the pandemic, working parents were in a very, very difficult spot. And if we go back to 2019, 2018, you know, and we sort of can put on our rose colored glasses and look at that time with a little bit of nostalgia, like pre-pandemic. In reality, though, working parenthood was very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And I think as working parents, we are fantastic at figuring things out, soldiering through, checking everything off on our to-do list, sleeping less, working more. All of that kind of good stuff, which to a point um, fuels our success. But in 2018, 2019, kind of, you know, pre-pandemic era, we had for 10 plus years at that point been working parents, all of us, in a iPhone, smartphone, 24-7, always on environment that 
our older mentors, our parents, certainly our grandparents never had to live in. Mm. I'm not blaming that technology. I love my iPhone as much as the next person. Don't get me wrong. I'm on it all the time. But we, because of technology and because of demographics too, most families now have both parents working. It's the majority of us now have two parents full-time in the workforce or are headed by a single parent. So as we think about the structural pressures we face, working very long hours, not being able to turn off or shut off even when we're not officially working, doing that in the context of a family structure that we love, that you know is fantastic in so many ways, but where there's usually or typically not somebody who's full-time focused on the home front on raising the kids. This is really, really hard. And I think what the pandemic did was make things worse, definitely, <laughs> but in a way that showcased and highlighted the structural, the underlying problem. And that made people sit back and just say, whoa, 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 you know, work-life integration, I get you. That's a great sounding phrase. I'm all for it. But, you know, it's been 15 months, 18 months now, and I can't tell my work from my life or anything in between. It's because I'm doing everything all the time and I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. So so I think it upped the ante. And now is the time as we think about the new normal or rounding the corner or whatever we want to call it, mm -hmm. even if that's sort of scary to do, to think about some of the proactive steps we want to take to not fall back into the pre-pandemic pattern either. Mm -hmm. So so tell me, I want to hear, like, what were some of your, like, you you nodded when I mentioned the day that the kids, the day the kids came home. Do you remember, yeah. can you tell me the story of that day for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember it very vividly and probably always will. So uh, there was a, a emergency voicemail message that went out from my children's school at 9 PM on a Sunday evening announcing that somebody uh, within the school had been exposed to this then completely unknown, very scary new virus, and that school was canceled for the week. And then we went into spring break, and then my kids didn't go back to school for 13 months after that time. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I consider myself very fortunate. You know, the, my kids have done well in terms of their schooling. I, I you know, I'm not in any way complaining here, but but just sharing one story of, of millions of, of how this impacted all of us. And, you know, the, the great irony, the sort of pinch I guess I was in was that I, I was the working parent person. So as soon as school was canceled and then other schools were canceled, and then we went into local and then national lockdowns and working parents were really to the wall. Um, I was being asked to do more and more, work with parents to support them. And at the same time, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to finish up this seminar. I'm teaching to working parents at a company um, because my daughter, my kindergarten daughter is going to run in here and won't be able to get into her, you know, into her homeroom Zoom. class on yeah. Zoom or whatever. And am I going to be able to do that? And is she going to interrupt me? Whatever. So it was sort of like a grand slam of uh, eating my own cooking, I guess you would say. So it was, <laughs> yeah. an, it was an interesting time supporting while also needing that support, like every other working parent. So, so what are, um, because we, we, and we can talk about the practical strategies for scheduling and, you know, some, well, j just like you were saying some of the, at the beginning of our conversation, your clients saying, I understand these time management things, but I have, this other yeah working parenthood and parenting in general comes with a whole host of emotions it isn't just the yeah. it isn't just the functional it's it's guilt it's overwhelm it's uh it's 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 a it's a lot of things so yes. and i think that the pandemic but that again that is just part of being a parent do you have some strategies for managing the more nuanced emotional aspects of what it is to, to be both? Yeah. So listen, I, I love the way you asked this question because 
So many times when people say, Daisy, can you give me advice on working parenthood? What are the practical tips and tricks? And I'm all about those and we need those. But when we talk about calendar management or um, efficiencies or you know how to get um, dinner on the table as working parents, like all, all that practical stuff, it, it's critical, but, but we're treating a set of symptoms. And before we get to that set of symptoms, I think it's important to just understand the condition itself. And to get ourselves out of a lot of the headwinds that we walk around facing and particularly all of the shoulds, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to listen to your mental internal mental tape or to any parents over the course of a day, I would probably hear 30 times the word should. I, I should be doing this. I should be better at whatever. And, and that is part of what makes working parenthood so hard. Who am I? How am I doing? Am I doing okay? So let's go straight to to those things and and talk about how to kind of pull the problem up a little bit by its roots before we get into the tactical. Mm -hmm. And and the first way that I do that with my individual coaches or or with groups is I ask people to think about, and I do this in the first chapter of the book, um, to think about your working parent template. Your working parent template is is the sort of mosaic-like picture or image that you have in mind that's probably unconscious, but very, very glued together and powerful that informs what you think working parenthood is and means and requires, and even more particularly what good working parents do or what good working moms or dads do. And, and you, you got that mosaic, all the little tiles, all the little bits of it, you pick them up over the course of your life. So let's just use a specific example. Let's say you know, your mom, like my mom, worked full time, but was able to leave work at five o'clock and come home and always cook dinner for you every evening. It, that's great. You love your mom. She was a great role model and example, but you may be walking around 25 years later or more with the idea in mind that good working parents can really draw a distinction and a separation between their work time and their non-work time or that good working parents cook for their kids or always are able in the evenings to sit down and have that dinner hour and then help with homework afterwards. None of those impressions are right or wrong. They're real, they're yours, but they may not map very well to the reality that you're facing today. Mm -hmm. So if you work evening shifts or if you have a job that requires, you know, very long hours or you requires you to be responsive to clients or to travel in normal times, mm -hmm. you, you or, or you just don't like cooking. You may, yeah. you may not be doing the things that make you feel confident and capable and in the driver's seat and like you're delivering as a working parent. So, so I encourage people to, to take that step back and to take a, literally take a white sheet of paper and to map out where all those little different bits and pieces that make up their mosaic, their template come from. And that can be from your family of origin early career training from mentors, from coworkers, from colleagues, comments you've gotten from a manager. Um, let's say you're in a Facebook group with other parents and they all tell you that, you know, after you have your second child, you really need to think about, you know, stepping back a little bit at work or going part-time. Great advice, perhaps, but not if you really love your work or want that next promotion or, just enjoy the tempo at which you're working, right? So map all that stuff out and then take a step back from it and say, what's my reality? What's my today? I'm parenting in a pandemic. So maybe I need to order in, right? Because I've got a lot else on, or maybe I need to take a different strategy. And all of a sudden it allows you to take this bag of rocks, which is like all these shoulds and have tos and why aren't I type feelings you've been dragging along it lets you put them down. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you can be more of the working parent that you want and make the de decisions and choices that really, really work for you. Yeah. I, I think about, you know, my expertise is storytelling. And for me, <clears throat> these shoulds and all the little tiles that you're talking about, I see them as yeah, the, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we, and we have, we've collected them from different places. I know one of mine and my mother was, my mother worked really hard to then be able to stay home. She wanted to stay home with her children more than anything uh, to not work, which is uh, 
the opposite, I suppose, in many ways of who I am and how I was wired. And one of the things that I remember growing up is my mother always hosting amazing birthday parties. Now, this is long before Pinterest or social media had us comparing our birthday party to someone else's birthday party. So it wasn't that kind of birthday party. I could only see it within my own life. And I loved my mother's birthday parties. And I'm really not good at planning birthday parties. And pre-pandemic, my schedule required a lot of travel. And while I always tried to be home for my kids' birthdays, um, there was one year when my daughter turned six that because we were moving and and things worked out differently, um, I was going to be in Las Vegas for her birthday. And I was feeling so guilty because I should, I should this, I should that. And really decided, I would say this is one of my work parent wins, decided, all right, this is this is what my life looks like. So we are going to have our birthday party in Las Vegas. And we had friends come up from Arizona and we rented like a little cabana and got, you know, chocolate covered strawberries and got her a sash that said birthday girl. And there was my six-year-old daughter dancing poolside and all the other birthday girls or bachelorettes or whoever, you know, they're celebrating (laughs) their 40th birthday or their 50th birthday. And they were all coming up and taking pictures with my daughter. And once I let myself see it that way, it was a beautiful moment. And, and to know that like my kids aren't my children's stories about what their childhood was like and what it was to be the child of me, their mother are going to be very different than what my stories are about what my childhood was like and being the daughter of my parents. But just because those stories are different doesn't mean that I am failing. And it's weird because I have to, and I think we all do. Once we realize, you know, listen to this tool that you just gave us, once we realize that's what we're doing, it still takes a lot of effort to remind ourselves that, no, we don't have to live in the shoulds. We can live in what we're doing right now. And in fact, my daughter has requested now for her ninth birthday, that her birthday party be in Las Vegas. So I'm trying to figure out. (laughs) How to do I, that? <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. An encore, an encore birthday in Vegas by the same pool. But it, you know, you you raise something really, really important actually, which is your mental image of, of working parenthood. And there's this template exercise. But something else I often have working parents do is to go on Google and to actually Google working parent and to click images. Right. So you just see the pictures of what comes up. When you do this, you will see as of right now in 2021, and I I really hope to change this and to be part of this change, um, but you will see tons and tons of pictures, kind of stock photos of women in pantsuits in front of laptops, holding babies and going like, you know, looking as if they have the biggest tension headache in the world. And that's really interesting because the the image of working parenthood, first of all, isn't very inclusive. Like, you know, dads, um, LGBT families, um, people who have older children, people who don't work at jobs where you're in front of a laptop all day, right? There's, 50, right. there's 52 million American working parents and we're all doing life in, and work in very different ways. But the image is also that you are somehow doing something that's um, overwhelming or messy, manic, undesirable in some way. And I think it's really great that you were able to take this this feeling of like, well, I should have my daughter's birthday party. And you were able to create a scene, a picture that she obviously loved and looks back on and and you all will. And I think it's it's fun for us to take a little bit of an Instagrammy approach and think it's not just about being stressed out and hunched over a laptop what's joyous, what's, what can make us proud? How, how do we want our kids to think of us 20 years from now when they're working parents? And not that we have to have like this, you know, sort of perfectly curated ideal life, but just what's, what works for us? What's sort of unique and, you know, and doable and what can we be proud of in the here and now and to move towards that? Well, and I I think that you, I think you nailed it right there. What can we be proud of in the here and now? And I know that my 
habit, my internal dialogue, I'm sure I'm not the only one, is to think about how I'm not perfect, about how I haven't lived up to or whatever it is. And to take a moment at the end of each day or each week to celebrate some of your parenting wins because they happen, you know, like they, and they're, they're the, they're very small moments, but like, I, I think about yesterday we went to, we just went to, we went to brunch. It was really hot in the city. Um, and we walked down, we walked outside to go get lunch. And then where we showed up, I had reserved outdoor seating right in the sun and they were complaining. And I was like, all right, let's just wait a couple of minutes. Let's do indoor seating. And you were on that verge of like, oh, I'm failing. Why did I do this? Why did I, it's such a hot day. They would rather just be at home. But then we got this cute little corner table inside in the air conditioning. And the four of us were laughing about my husband's miserable pickup lines when we were dating. And my my son is 10 and my daughter is eight. And we just sat in that corner booth and laughed and laughed and laughed and had breakfast. And like that, like, I'm sure I felt, you know, like I, I didn't sign him up for whatever I was supposed to sign him up for. And I didn't double check that they, oh, I just remembered my son has a science test today that I didn't double check that he, I don't, you know what? I could focus on all that or I could focus on that amazing brunch we had yesterday morning and how fun that was. And they will remember that. Yeah. And, and let's actually take that one step further. And there was that amazing, you know, you guys were laughing at the brunch and it was, it was a great moment. But let's also think about however many loads of laundry you put in last week or about all the times that you did call to make the orthodontist appointment yeah, or or about all the tapings that you got done on time or about throughout the course of the pandemic, how you were able to help the kids with their homework or the really good conversation you had with somebody you work with who it's really hard to have a good conversation with, but you managed it anyway. So So it doesn't even have to be sort of these like glory moments. It can be small things. And one of the um, exercises I have a lot of my clients do is to start keeping right alongside their to-do list is to keep a done list. Mm. And you put things large and small. It doesn't even have to be big wins, like, you know, got a new job or something like that. It can just be like, you know gee, over the course of the past week, I made dinner for the kids three times. Great. Throw that on the list. And then when you feel your energy at an ebb, when you're kind of feeling a little bit burnt out as a parent, as a working parent, you pull that list out and you remind yourself of the totality of your commitment and of the incredible volume of everything you're doing. And it's it's a really beautiful thing to look at and to remind yourself of. Yeah. And that we don't do that enough like that. Yeah. There needs to be, we can, we can keep a mental tally of what we haven't done, but to be really intentional about what we have, I think is, I need to, I need to get better at that. I would imagine that there are a lot of people who do. So I want to talk for a moment about now that we are going back into the office, many people are going back. Uh, we're starting this transition into the next phase of whatever it is. Um, I think there has been some embracing, I feel, among my parent friends, embracing what we've accomplished and yeah. an acknowledgement about what this is. And, and, and like you said, it brought to light a lot of the intensity. But as we're going back into the office, I know there's a lot of concern about talking about your role as a parent and communicating your needs and being concerned that that will in some way damage your career, that you won't be given opportunities or you'll be seen as less committed to your work because of your commitment as a parent. Do you have any strategies for as we're re-entering the workplace for navigating those conversations? Yeah, the the first thing the, these are two communication strategies that I I think are, you know, always good for working parents but essential right now as as we're kind of negotiating and navigating this new normal. The first is to think about your working parent conversations at work as a ratio right? So a lot of parents get really freaked out. And I, listen, I'm, I'm one of them too, but get freaked out that if we mention our kids or at-home responsibilities too much, we're going to be one of those people. Yeah. Those people who 
shouldn't be promoted because they're not focused enough because they're somehow their head isn't in the game, you know, whatever label you want to throw on it. So they're worried about it. But that doesn't mean that you have to not mention anything. So I want you to think about all of your communications. If you're going back into an office and you're, you know, you're reconnecting maybe in person or for the first time with people for, you know, after a long, long period to think about um, out of 10 conversations with a person or with your colleagues more generally about how many you want to permission yourself to bring up the working parent thing. Mm -hmm. If 10 times out of 10, you talk to your boss and you say, well, I've got daycare pickup and summer's coming and the kids are out of school and this and that. If you do it 10 out of 10 times, you might be perceived as quote unquote, that person. Mm -hmm. But if you mention it two or three, that's not going to happen because in those other seven interactions, you're going to be your powerful professional self. And it won't diminish you in any way to remind your boss that, hey, next week, my schedule is going to be a little bit different because we're transitioning from school into day camp or into a new form of care. In that case, it's just an FYI that's part and parcel of who you are as a responsible professional. So think about that ratio and sort of pick your point. Is it two out of three, three you know, or two out of 10, three out of 10, whatever, and then just be comfortable with it, make a decision and go with it. And the next thing when you're actually grappling with the words to use, because that's so hard. I know we all have that like awkward, nervous feeling where you're like, how do I say this? How do I bring it up? And we find ourselves apologizing when there's really nothing to apologize for. And then we feel ineffective and so forth. If you have to have a an important conversation at the intersection of parenting and professional life, think about putting it inside a frame which is kind of bounded on four sides by your priorities, your next steps, your commitment, and your enthusiasm. Mm. So let's say you do have to, you know, dial in late or show up late to work on Thursday because, um, you know, it's your kid's first day of summer camp, right? Um, speaking, speaking for a friend here. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you do have to do that instead of saying, Ooh, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I can't make it to the Thursday meeting or whatever, you know, putting yourself on your back foot, you say, you know, to your boss, um, Hey, listen, Jill, I'm not going to be available until 11 AM on Thursday because, um, in my daughter will be starting day camp and I need to be pre present and available for her when, you know, during that drop-off, which is really important, but I will grab the notes from the meeting and I'll have those incorporated and turned around into the document along with some of my own edits so that as a team, we can review that and be a hundred percent ready for the client meeting on Monday. I'm really looking forward to that because I think they're going to be really impressed by the work that we did. All of a sudden there, you're not hiding anything about mm -hmm. being a parent. You're, you're saying it like it is. I need to be there for my daughter, right? But you're doing it in a broader frame that's really powerful. I'm committed. I'm on top of it. You don't need to worry. We are going to get to this client meeting and we're going to rock it. Yeah. And, and that's what you want to bring forward is that totality. So, so think about those four prongs, because if you can hang your comments on those, you're going to feel more genuine, first of all, yeah. and authentic but it'll also land better. And I think that's interesting that you're, when you say you're not trying to hide anything, because I, I feel like that is a strategy that people would be tempted to use is to keep it a secret that anytime you're holding on, you know, why you're being, you know, to be vague or anytime you're holding on to a secret, I find it makes me more frantic. It makes me more frazzled. It makes my, that energy more nervous. And so here exactly by that, using that, those four walls of the frame, this, that's about as competent as you could ever show up anywhere. I mean, that is, that is some that's a really powerful, that's a really powerful strategy. Go back and re-listen to it if you, if you missed it the first time. Actually, would you re-say the four prongs? Yeah, they're your priorities, your next step, your commitment, and your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I'm working with clients, you have to, you know, have a bigger conversation about wanting to get promoted or all of a sudden they're doing, which is coming for a lot of us, they're going to be doing business travel and they have to explain the fact that they're going to be away to a four-year-old who is feeling really nervous and upset. 
we will actually work through and we'll have them think, okay, how am I going to hit on each of these cylinders in my conversation? So instead of saying to your four-year-old, I'm so sorry, I wish I didn't have to go. And you know, you're, you're, you're feeling mm-hmm. terrible and mixed up and sending mixed messages. You say, you know, dad needs to leave for the airport right now. And because I have clients who are waiting for me in Chicago, but tomorrow night I'm going to be back and I'm taking you to the park and we're going to do the swings together on the big boy swing. And I can't wait. I'm going to be so excited to see you doing that. Your four-year-old's probably still going to be kind of upset, but that message is a lot more powerful and makes you feel like you, instead of this sort of awkward, apologetic, you know, spiral. Yeah. And then you start seeing yourself as awkward and apologetic, which sends mixed messages about your, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we were, um, we took, my husband and I took a trip just a, we were gone like 36 hours. And as we, we had dropped the kids off at school, there was a babysitter coming to pick them up from school. And we were driving out, uh, through the, through the Hamptons. And about like an hour into our drive, we got a call from the school nurse who my daughter was in the, in the nurse's office. And we'd had very, like, we've had to have many conversations. You can't go in and say, I have a headache or my throat is scratchy just because you don't want to be at school. Cause that's a big problem. If you, right. if you right. have a headache, you need to say, but this is, my daughter would go in all the time and be like, I have a bellyache just cause she needed a break. And we were like, you cannot do that. You'll send the whole class into lockdown unless you actually yeah. have a bellyache. Yeah. Right. Or she went into the nurse's office because she said she had poked herself in the eye at home and she was sure her eye was bleeding. And the nurse, hmm. the, which a smart girl, that is not a symptom of anything pandemic related, a bloody right. eye. So, so that was smart on her part. Um, but the nurse called us and said, we, I sent her back to class. My husband said, you know, we are, we're, we're gone for 36 hours. And he hung up the phone and I said, you know, for parents, I used to travel all the time. And I think our daughter was getting used, like adjusting to wait there they're gone. They aren't here. They've been home with me every day for 18 months. Um, So it is going to be, I hadn't thought about until that moment. And now hearing you say it again, I hadn't thought about the at home transitions that will be made as parents start going back to the office, as parents start going to business travel more there. So, so maybe that's a good place. I mean, I have so many questions for you. Um, wait, one question that I do want to ask is, yeah. we're talking a lot about, uh, there's a feel for like the co- corporate families, people who are going into an office. Well, any thoughts for work parents who work for themselves? Um, I feel like that brings on a whole different, it brings on a whole different aspect of those negotiations because you're negotiating with yourself and your own ambition in many cases. Thoughts on self-employed work parents? Yeah. So I actually have an entire chapter in the book about entrepreneurship, freelancing, small business, people who like me work for, for, you know, I work for myself. And Mm -hmm. as you say, that can make it harder. Like I, yeah, I can take next week off if my boss lets me, but my boss may not let me because my boss is me and that gets all kinds of complicated. So there are some really, really important things to do if you're a working parent, entrepreneur, or self-employed, or if you're thinking about becoming one. Mm-hmm. The first thing that you need to do is, is come up with yourself, with sort of effectively create a contract with yourself about boundaries. So as an entrepreneur there, you could go forever. You could work, you know, 24 hours a day and always be trying to grow and scale and get that next client and do more and bill another hour. And that will very, very quickly happen to you if you don't have a clear contract with yourself about when that stops, or you will draw boundaries on a sort of ad hoc basis and feel terrible like, oh, I'm not working enough. So one thing that I do with a lot of um, entrepreneurial um, parents is is have them just almost imagine like a, um, and write down for themselves, a job description, sort of a, I will work from this time until this time, or I will try to bill X number of hours per week, or I will allot this amount of time or, you know, this amount of headspace to 
um, outgoing business development efforts, but I'll cap it at a certain amount. And I think that's incredibly important because when you have those guardrails in place, you, you know that you won't crash. You, you sort of have that, you have that safety. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. The second is to be really, really clear with yourself if you are self-employed as to what your business model is. And I, this was advice I got after I had established my own coaching practice. And I sort of kicked myself in the shins for not having thought about this earlier myself, which is every business has a lot of things that you do that you get paid for. And there's a lot of things that you do in any kind of business or service that you don't get paid for. Um, you know, thinking about your own IT or about the marketing efforts you have, et cetera. You want to make sure that you have the right ratio and that you're the work that you're putting in, the labor that you're putting in is actually paying you out. It, it's very, very easy to say, but this is this is particularly true for people who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs. It's very easy to say, well, I'll, um, you know, I'm really good at providing X service at executive coaching in my case, and I will do that, but I won't think about how to price my services or I won't think about how I'm going to gain new clients in a pretty easy um way where I'm getting a good new flow of them. And all of a sudden you find yourself spending 30 hours a week doing stuff that doesn't, that doesn't actually lead to a paycheck. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are sort of two different things and, and they feel like pressures, but what they also do is allow you in a beautiful way to construct your working parent experience. You're the one who gets to set those boundaries. If you don't want to work, you know, past a certain time, great. You got to figure out how to make it work in terms of the income that you want and so forth. But but you do have your finger on that button and that's exciting. Yeah, I, I'm in the middle of a renegotiation with myself as we speak and as things start coming back in in my business. And we, we just had, we had a client come in that wants me to do an event during the month that I usually take off to spend with the family. And so it would mean, you know, but this is also kind of a strange year as some, so it's this whole, and I've been with my family for, so it's this whole new, and I realized that I, we kind of went into crisis mode because we had to for the pandemic. Then we had a lot of learning and and boundary reassessment, which was really important. Um, But now it is time to to reestablish my contract with myself. And sometimes that is going to mean saying no to my family for the pursuit of of my work. And sometimes it will mean it'll mean the the other. Um, And I suppose that that would be a good place to wrap up as we transition into whatever we want to call what is coming next. I think whether you are an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, you're working in an office, um, it's going to be up to the work parents to... There's an opportunity, I suppose, to define and redefine what what post 2020 looks like any pieces of advice as we move into those negotiations with ourselves or others yeah and and i this is advice i remind myself of every single day which is to have the long game in sight to mm-hmm. know where as an individual working parent but then also it, for all of us together collectively to know where we want to steer to and have a success picture an outcome that we want to work towards. Because when you go into your boss's office and maybe that person isn't so responsive to working parents, or maybe you're wondering about whether or not to take on that new freelance gig or to keep doing drop-off now that the kids are back in in in-person schooling of some kind, whatever it is, as you make those kind of small decisions every day, they're going to pile up on you. It, 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 those decisions cost a lot. Yeah. But it, but if you can look out to the future and say, you know what? I want to I'm making this up, but I want to make vice president at this company and I want to eat more dinners than not with my kids along the way. Or I want to save enough for my kids to go to college and not have to take on loans. 
uh, and achieve, you know, a certain status within my, you know, within my profession um, and to mentor other colleagues. And I want to do whatever that is. If you have that vision, you can then say, okay, well, how does doing drop-off or not doing drop-off fit into that? Or how does taking on this next freelance gig or declining it, how does that fit into my vision? It just makes things easier and it's more motivating, first of all, to say yeah. I'm moving towards something positive, but it's also makes the day-to-day easier. And as you do think about that kind of great big vision of the future for yourself, also think about your kids' experience as working parents. I mean, my my daughters are seven and nine right now. And 25 years from now, honestly, I want them to just be feeling like I I got this. Everybody can be a working parent. This is you know, it's celebrated and it's practically feasible and all that good stuff. And to do that, to to get that for them, I'm going to have to have some of those awkward conversations and push back and grapple with all this stuff myself in the here and now. And it's okay. It's okay. If anything, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the stories they'll tell. Exactly. uh, When they're in this when they're in the same position. Ah, Daisy, what, what a joy it was. This was so helpful for me. I could, I could ask a hundred more questions. Luckily, it sounds like so many of these, and I know that so many of these are already answered in the book, uh, work parent, the complete guide to succeeding on the job, staying true to yourself and raising happy kids. Daisy, where else can we find you? You can go to my website, www.workparent.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn, or you can sign up for my soon-to-be-launched weekly newsletter, which comes out starting this Friday. Uh, well, thank you so much. I, I can't wait to hear all of the success stories people tell after listening to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time.